0: We are looking at marriage, my beloved, my friend, from Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 16. When that wife is thinking about her husband, my beloved and my friend. We said over the last couple of weeks that the goal of marriage is oneness. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The Apostle Paul quotes that in Ephesians 5, that classic New Testament text on marriage, where he calls upon the husbands to love their wives and the wives to respect their husbands. Then he quotes Genesis chapter 2. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then he says, this mystery is great, but I'm speaking in reference to Christ and the church. This mystery of a man and a woman becoming one is great. But I'm speaking in reference to Christ and his church. Will come to that in just a second. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapters 1 and 2. I just want to remind us of some very basic things and then I'd like to talk to us about the purposes God may have for marriage and a path towards oneness. If you're familiar with the early chapters of the Bible, you know that Genesis chapter 1 is the picture of the seven days of creation, of God creating all that is. And on that sixth day, in verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. It's my favorite phrase in the whole Bible. Every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, to the husband and to the wife, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed. It shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. Up until this point, it was good. It was good. It was good, it was good, it was good. And now he makes a man and a woman and he says, it is very good. There was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. By the seventh day God completed his work which he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which he had created and made. We made this point, I think, a couple of weeks ago, but God created the cosmos to be a place where he would dwell with his people. And He creates it, and he creates Adam, and he creates Eve, and we'll see in chapter 2, he places them in a garden. And when all of this is complete on that seventh day, God rests. He dwells with his people. In chapter three, we'll see he walks in the garden in the cool of the day with them. And of course, sin wrecks it all, but it's where all of it is going. We just sang of it. Um, Does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. In chapter two, it's a little bit closer look at the creation of the man and the creation of the woman. In verse four, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. Now, No shrub of the field was yet in the earth, no plant of the field had yet sprouted, for the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth. And there was no man to cultivate the ground, but a mist used to rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground then The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. So God creates the man. In verse 8 and following, he creates this beautiful garden. In verse 10, it's near these powerful, beautiful rivers, and there's gold there, and there's Bedouin there, and there's onyx stones there. I told the guys at Friday Morning Bible Study the other day, sometimes when we think of the Garden of Eden, we think of a garden in our backyard, And I said, think Yellowstone National Park, big and beautiful beyond imagination with the seeming intention to be that Adam and Eve under God would be fruitful and multiply and their descendants would take this garden and cultivate the entire earth to be the dwelling place of God with his people. Verse 15, then the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, from any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept and God took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. God creates the man. It's not good for him to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Takes a rib, fashions a woman, brings her to him. This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Verse 24, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Marriage was created by God. This is not some social construction that we came up with for the survival of the species. This was created by by God from the very beginning. And if we try to glean out some of the purposes for marriage and why it is so important for husbands and for wives to live and to pursue oneness, a tender merger of body and soul and spirit with their spouse, it is so that we can fulfill these purposes. I think one of these might be That a husband and a wife together in marriage, they mirror God's image. Of course, the man is created in the image of God, and of course, the woman is created in the image of God. But in this mystery of marriage, the two become one. And it may be that just as our God is three, Father, Son, and Spirit, and yet one, They are one in purpose. They are one in intention. They are one. So too, a husband and a wife, when they come together and are one, they reflect who God is to a watching world. Probably beyond that, though, and probably closer to what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 5 what God had in mind when he created a man and a woman and brought them together in marriage. For the husband to be the head, the servant leader of his family, and the wife to be the helper, the servant lover of of her husband and her family, and that together they would come together to be one, that his loving leadership and her loving respect would come together and be a picture of Christ and his church, of God's love for us and our respect and following and submission to him. That something amazing is going on when a husband lovingly leads his wife and when a wife lovingly respects her husband and that together it's a picture Of Christ's love for his church and the church's respect for Christ. And that oneness, therefore, is expressed for us practically in a lifetime commitment to one another. Just as Christ will never leave nor forsake his church, his bride, nor is a husband to ever leave or to forsake his wife and just as the church is to be committed to following Jesus Christ and respecting and submitting to his leadership so to a wife committed to following the leadership of her husband our marriages as we pursue God's vision for marriage they mirror God's image Second purpose, it seems to be that they mutually complete one another. God created Adam, but he then said, it's not good for Adam to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And maybe the best word for this is companionship. That God created for Adam and for Eve a companion. We talked a couple of weeks ago that Satan hates marriage and Satan has schemes to try to create in your marriage and mine isolation that will ultimately lead to the destruction of the marriage. God gives marriage to provide and replace isolation and meet our deep longing for close and intimate relationships. And so it's good for us to remember that God created this as a social institution. It's marriage, it's made up of two people together. And he designed it to be the first of interdependent relationships. We need each other. And that it's to be the primary relationship or the priority relationship of a family. This comes, this marriage of the husband and the wife comes first and then be fruitful and multiply. If you've been around here a while, if you've heard me teach on marriage, I love to teach about this vision as I see it in others of a biblical vision of marriage. And I talk about a husband being the head, the servant leader of his family. I talk about a wife being the, the helper, the servant lover of her family, and that it's a complementary relationship of the two. And then we talk about core responses, that if, if a husband longs for his wife to flourish in her role of the helper and servant lover, he's got to respond with at least one key thing. And I say one, but I, I tie it to three words. Love, honor, and praise. If a, if a husband longs for his wife to flourish in her role as the helper, the servant lover of the family, he's got to love her, honor her, and praise her. If a wife longs for her husband to flourish in his role as the head and the servant leader of the family, she has to respond with respect and submission. Submission an inclination to follow, a willingness to yield to his leadership. Never following him into sin, but following him, yielding to his leadership, respecting what God has called him to be in the marriage. And then we go on to talk about some key needs that each of us have. that a husband, if he wants to meet the key needs of his wife, we talk about four of them. Number one, companionship. Number two, security, both relationally and financially. Number three, significance. She's got to know what she's doing is significant. And emotional responsiveness. And we talk about if a wife wants to meet the core needs of her husband, Companionship, admiration, support, and physical responsiveness. Now, I went through all of that quickly to say on both lists of needs, companionship, companionship. That God has created marriage to meet this need that a husband has and a wife has for companion for someone to do life with, to be friends with. And so I would encourage you all, listen, it it demands from each of us, both husband and wife, a selflessness that looks out for the needs of the other. But to pursue companionship with your spouse. It's kind of the old deal, the couples that play together stay together. And for some of you, it may be hiking or others of you bike riding. For some of you, it might be dancing. My wife would love that. She would probably praise for that more than anything. For some of you, maybe it's cooking together. Others of you, you have hobbies. Some of you like to play board games, whatever it might be, taking evening strolls together. What is it that you do together? I often say when I talk about this, that I'm, I've been married to Tara for 19 years, I'm still not sure if she likes football. But I think she does, because she, I guess as an act of selfless love for me, is a companion with me in that. We mirror God's image as we husbands and wives pursue oneness. It pictures Christ and the church. We mutually complete one another when we pursue oneness. It's one of the reasons God created marriage was to meet the need of Adam. He's alone, and that's not good. I'll make a helper suitable. And that together, they'll complete one another. Another purpose for your marriage, our marriages, is to multiply a godly legacy. In 128, God blessed them. And God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Marriage provides the divine context for having children. And it provides that place, the oneness as you and I pursue it as a husband and wife and as a dad and as a mom, it becomes a place where godly children can be raised up. Neither a woman nor a man are made emotionally, spiritually, and physically to raise children by themselves. And I know some of you have had to do it. And God's grace to you. That's not the ideal. The ideal is dad and mom together dad with all of his strengths, mom with all of her strengths, together. It seems that children, as they're growing up to appreciate their own sexual identity, they must see the harmonious relationship between a dad and a mom, between a man and a a woman, between a husband and a wife, those kiddos can see a man, they can see a woman, and they can see as they pursue oneness and the, the give and take of a complementary relationship, of a leader and of a lover. The husband and wife, the roles of husband and wife are best understood by children as their parents model this. What an opportunity we have with the children that God has entrusted to us. You ever thought about it? What is the purpose? What is God's purposes for marriage? I like these three. God's purposes for your marriage and mine are that we would mirror his unbelievable, wonderful image. Of a husband and a wife together. This mystery is great, but I'm talking about the relationship between Christ and his bride. It provides an opportunity for us to mutually complete one another as we pursue oneness and companionship. And it it provides the context to multiply a godly legacy. And so, husbands and so, wives pursue oneness fight against the schemes of the enemy that would seek to isolate you from your spouse god's path towards oneness is may be seen in this verse in 224 broadly for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. What's the first thing that we have to do? It's leave. We, we have to leave our father and our mother to establish independence from our parents. Some of you have been married so long, you did that a long, long time ago. Or did you? Sometimes that connection to mom, or that connection to dad, or that connection to parents, sometimes you still haven't left. Uh, Probably all have struggled with that a little bit. Where relationship with parents is creating isolation with our spouse because we haven't fully left. Not just physically, but emotionally or financially or the like. Leaving has to be done in the context of honoring to one's parents, so thankful for them, loving towards them. But we have to move away from dependence upon them in order to do the next thing, which is cleave to our spouse. For this reason, a man shall leave and then secondly, he shall cleave. It's to establish that commitment to one another. We just read through it, but let's briefly look at it again in chapter two, verse 18. God created Adam with an unmet need. It's not good for the man to be alone. God created him with this unmet need. He needs someone else. I will make a helper suitable for him. And so in verse 19 and 20, God shows him his need. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the sky, brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So apparently as all the animals were passing by, there's a male and there's a female, and there's a male and there's a female, and there's a male and there's a female, and he begins to think, where's mine? And God provided for his need in verse 21 and 22. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place the Lord God fashioned into to a woman, the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. So Adam has this need and God meets it by creating Eve. But here's an important question. When God brings Adam brings Eve to Adam, would he receive her? Would he receive Eve as God's provision for his need? And of course the wonderful answer is that he did. This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Have you received your spouse as God's provision for you? And I'm not saying, oh, yeah, Mitch, I did that 20 years ago. I said I do. today do you receive your spouse as God's provision for you? Adam certainly was focused upon God's character and upon God's goodness. That God is sovereign and God is good and this is what God has brought to me for me and he Receives her. And what's wonderful about this is he receives her not based upon any of her performance. She hadn't had an opportunity to do anything. This is God's provision for him, and he gladly receives her. So we leave and we cleave and then become one flesh. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And it seems that this is more than simply saying, I do, and it's more than simply consummating the marriage through sexual intimacy. It's a process for that husband and wife as they grow as individuals and as they grow together. It begins as they break dependencies upon the past and begin to cleave to one another and in good and right ways become dependent upon each other. And they become more together than they ever could have become a part. And physical, sexual intimacy is just an expression of that oneness, that tender merger over time of the husband and the wife, body, soul, and spirit. So we think about Marriages around here, maybe. I think of there's Forrest and there's Susan, and there's, but there's Forrest and Susan. There's Matt and there's Lori, and th- but there's Matt and Lori. There's Ward and there's Berta, but there's Ward and Berta. They, they left and they cleft, <laughs> they cleaved, and they have become one. And listen, you and I, we don't have to wait 40 years of marriage or 50 years of marriage or however long they've been married. We leave, we cleave, and we become one flesh, committed to one another, loving towards one another. So, handful of things here to kind of bring together some of the things we've been talking about over the last few weeks. Practically, maybe how can you and I do this? Number one, we need to celebrate the differences between us and our spouse. We've talked about how those differences, that can become one of Satan's primary schemes to create isolation because we are so different. We're different genders, you, husband and wife. We have different perspectives, different temperaments, different backgrounds, different preferences. We have different roles that God has given to us so many reasons why we could stay isolated if we were not to celebrate those differences and say, wow, how awesome is this? We're different. These become opportunities for us to celebrate the way God has created us and nurtured us differently and become an opportunity for us to trust him and his goodness that he would bring two together such as we two. Celebrate the differences between you and your spouse. Don't let it become an opportunity for isolation to creep in. We also need to understand the weaknesses of our spouse because all of us bring those to the table Some of us are impatient. Others of us are indecisive. Some of us are overly talkative. Others of us are disorganized. Some are critical. Some are demanding. Every one of you have your weaknesses that you bring to the table. And these are not to be justifications for rejecting your spouse. She has a weakness. I don't like it. you got weaknesses too, brother. We all bring weaknesses to the table. And these weaknesses have divine purposes in our lives, at least to humble us and to keep us dependent upon Jesus. So those weaknesses in your spouse that may be continually Frustrate you. Don't let the enemy creep in and cause isolation because of it. Seek the Lord's help and remember that we all bring our weaknesses to the table and that that would keep us humble, keep us leaning into Jesus. Number three, so celebrate our our, our differences and Understand our weaknesses and number three, let's fight Our selfishness The selfishness that we bring to the marriage and again, we have to all admit that we bring it to the marriage It is from Genesis chapter 3 in the heart of every one of us an inclination to look out for number one first We must admit that we are selfish. And by the grace of God seek to put that to death and be like Jesus and lovingly selflessly serve our spouse. As Paul would say to us, do not look after your own personal interests but also for the interest of others do nothing out of selfish ambition but with humility of mind regard others as more important than yourself how does that work and in your marriage let's fight against the selfishness that so easily shows itself up in our lives four don't reject your spouse When you and I, if you and I reject our spouse, we are rejecting God and his provision for our life. God is the one who brought our spouse to us. And if we reject our spouse and and think that it's a mistake or wishing that it was different, or we are saying, that we do not receive God and his provision for our life. We don't trust in his sovereign character. It shows that we are unbelieving toward what he is doing in our life. Remember that our natural differences, our weaknesses, and our selfishness, God wants to use those things to build the oneness in your marriage and in mine. And then finally, finally, Let's receive our spouse as God's gift made personally for you. If I were going to sum it up in one thing this morning, I think that's what it would be. To receive your spouse anew. To receive your spouse anew this morning. Realizing that, that she, that he is the one that God has brought for you. You may be in your second marriage. You may be in your third marriage. You're married right now. and This is the spouse. This is the one that God has for you. Until the very end receive them anew. What that might practically look like is after you leave here today, just grabbing them and looking them in the eye and saying, I receive you. You're mine. You're God's provision for my life, and I'm glad. And you and I might be different, and we bring our weaknesses to the table, but ain't that good? Let's you and me trust God together for the next 50 years. You want to? Yeah. Awesome receive your, your spouse anew this morning. God wants you and me in our marriages to move towards that oneness that mirrors his image, that mutually completes one another, and that provides that context for a new generation of boys and girls to be raised up who will do by God's grace the same. A godly legacy. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the gift of marriage. What a gift! A husband and a wife together. to love one another, and to encourage one another, and to help one another, and pray for one another, and complete one another, and to have fun with one another, and to go through hard times together, and to persevere together. What a gift. And Lord, we know that our enemy would love nothing more but to destroy our marriages, And we know that we bring our own sin to the table that can so easily cause problems. But we want to look to you today. and We want to pray for your help and for your protection. Again, Lord, would you strengthen the marriages here of Redeemer? Would you lead each of us husbands, each of us wives to repentance where need be? Where we see ourselves falling short of of the high calling that you have called us to and help us to be humble about that and repentant about that. Oh God, I pray that we husbands would love our wives. And where any of the wives may need to Repent from the places they may be falling short of this high calling of being a wife. Would you help them to humbly repent and to seek your help and to obey? God, lead us together towards continual repentance and faith and trust and obedience. Loving husbands, respectful wives, together. For a lifetime. This mystery is great, but what a blessing. Again, Lord, any marriages that are really struggling, might you today work a miracle and crush what's coming between them crush it and may it just be a miracle of divine grace that just changes the marriage in a moment from selfishness to selflessness from disobedience to obedience to love and respect and that there would be from this day on a newfound commitment to one another and pursuing oneness until death father thank you for Jesus our great leader and head who gave himself for us and for our sins rose again and gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit to help us to love and to be patient and to be kind and to be gentle, to be forgiving, to be forbearing. We couldn't do it without you, so please Help us continually lean into you and look to you. And we will pray this all for the great glory of God. For the strengthening of the marriages here. And that it might be a light. Our marriages might even be a light into our city, into our world. We'll pray it. In Jesus' name, amen.